podcast is part of the Pod Syndicate family. For more criminally compelling shows, articles, and conversations, head to wearepodsyndicate.com. everybody and welcome to this second episode of um, the Rewatch Project where we are covering Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, which has just completed its seventh season. The first episode uh, we covered last time has just gone up uh, and uh, yes you are here with uh, Mike from Chinstroke vs. Punter and Hannah. So uh, have a devil of you today. I'm fine, thank you very much. So, uh, yes, we've got the first episode up. Um, you listened back to it or some of it today and apparently weren't quite as horrified yeah. <laughs> by it as you were expecting. I, I, don't, um, I don't believe in my skills as a speaker of all things TV and film, but, hey, I'm along for the ride. You're, um, you're, you're very self-critical in those areas. But at the end of the day, I mean, this is a, this is a reaction to watching episodes, so there's no yeah. right or wrong here. Yeah. But, yeah, so we... Um, for, I mean, I assume everybody who's listened to this listened to uh, the first episode of it, but just as a quick refresh for those who haven't, Hannah and I um, are fans of, you know, weekly sci-fi genre shows, and we've done rewatches um, that anybody who listens to the show that I also do, the other show that I do, Chin Stroker vs. Punzer, will know that we did big rewatches of lots of 90s um, Star Trek shows and uh, Babylon 5 um, yeah. and uh, we've done a lot of you know movie series and things like that so we felt that um, as we liked uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and it had just come to its conclusion that we figured we would go back and uh, rewatch them so I see you've got it's, him It's something that we've been talking about for a long time going back to the start just because of the amount of stuff that they cram into seven seasons it begs for a rewatch, and this is something that we've kind of done before. I think where mm. we've had that, where a show's finished or we've done a rewatch of a show, and then we've gone back and watched sometimes just the first episode. Mm. Kind of, I remember when we watched Deep Space Nine, which was the first time we watched it with you. I remember we finished the final episode, and then the next night we watched the pilot, and it was yeah. like, oh gosh, look how different it looked. Yeah, and, yeah. You yeah know, it's an interesting kind of experiment to do. Mm. Um, but yeah, so so what we the, the format of the show is that we uh, we do a kind of tale of the tape, talk a little bit about which episode we're going to be watching and then we uh, we hit the pause button and watch it and then come back and uh, do a little bit about what we thought of it. So what we're doing is the, the, the format of the show, as established in our pilot episodes, much how Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in its own pilot episode established how certain very meta. rules of its universe. That was, um, that was not intentional. Uh, I should be honest about it, but uh, but uh, what we're going to be doing this week is we're going to be doing both um, a, um, a a spoiler and non-spoiler talk yep. about the second, third, and fourth episodes of season one of Agents of Shield. That is, uh, namely episodes zero, uh, eight, four, the asset and I spy. So what we will, we will be doing in those is we'll um, do a little bit of information about the episode, talk about what the show is about, who wrote it, a little bit of background on the creative side of things and then we will give our uh, reactions to re-watching the episodes and break that up into both non-spoiler and spoiler so if you haven't seen the episodes before you can just listen to the uh, non-spoiler section we will signpost it well so you won't 
accidentally hear anything you shouldn't be hearing. Yeah, it will be. Uh, it will be very clear. Um, and uh, and yeah, so we're going to jump straight in, and we will cover three of these episodes. So the episode, it's season one, episode two. The title is zero eight four. Plot summary says: While extracting a strange object out of Peru, the Shield agents are taken hostage aboard their plane. I'm assuming that hijinks ensue. I would think that they do. A um, couple of credit things here. This is directed by David Strayton, who is a is a, a accomplished television director has directed everything but one thing I noticed uh, on the writing credits on this episode that I forgot to mention last time is that this episode is co-written by the showrunners um, Marissa Tankeron and Jed Whedon a married couple we mentioned before who, who run the show but it's also co-written by a guy named Jeffrey Bell and I should have mentioned him last time because he was the executive producer on this show along with the, uh, Jed Whedon and partner. Um, and he's an interesting guy because he started off on the X-Files and then he moved over to be one of the key writers on Angel mm-hmm. uh, and then Firefly. He also worked on, I think, Alias. And I'm just looking at his biography here, Angel, Alias and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. all mentioned. But now, he was kind of a bit of a right-hand man for Joss Whedon and apparently... His involvement in this show was actually as co-showrunner along with um, Jed Whedon and Marissa Tankerone. And apparently this was because ABC, the network who who um, showing it, who essentially distributing the show, mm. liked Jed Whedon and uh, Marissa Tankerone from a talent perspective, but they'd never run a show before. Right. So apparently Jeffrey Bell was brought in... Although he's a writer and he wrote a lot of episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., not so much in a creative sense, but in the sense that he understood the infrastructure of how network shows... He was, he, he was older and had more experience, basically. So he was the kind of the getting shit done guy mm-hmm. on the show. And I didn't mention him last time because people do think of him very much as being kind of created by Joss Whedon, Jed Whedon and Marissa Tegaroen. But he is a really kind of important guy on the show as well. But he was the kind of the... A bit like Rick Berman on the 90s Star Trek shows. He was kind of the... He wasn't a suit, but he was like the designated grown-up yeah. um, who did that. So I uh, just wanted to mention that before we got in. But yeah, it's, uh, enough enough of this uh, lip-flapping. I uh, just wanted to say I can't remember this episode at all, so um, I'll be interested to see what it's about. The reviews of the episode range from... Oh, don't read IMDb reviews. I, I, I'm not going to read the reviews. I'm just going to read the title of two reviews, oh, okay. the best and the worst. One review is 10 out of 10... Hydra left some underwear in the Mayan temple. <laughs> and worst review, 3 out of 10, worse than the pilot. Oh, so, so you can see where they stand. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's see. Okay, let's see where we fall on this one. Okay, we'll, we'll be back shortly. <laughs> Have you ever wondered what so-called family films will scar your kids forever? Putting four and five-year-olds in front of this movie, it's like, if they didn't know what death was before this, they're going to know it after it. They're going to know it after it, and they're going to be freaking terrified. And they're going to be questioning you. Yeah. Or do you have the slight suspicion that your loved one has a cold, dead heart? Yeah, the Dark Knight has got all the orphans, and like, oh no, we're going to die. They did not build up those orphans at all. In my head, it's like, kill them. 
then look no further. The His Film Her Movie podcast is the show for you. It's the movie podcast that celebrates the contrasting cinematic tastes of its hosts. So join Jordan and Lauren every week on their unique journey through the land of the silver screen. So if you're looking for a few laughs, some fun film-related chat, then get involved. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. We've been called in to investigate in 084. We all know what that means. It means we don't know what that means. This season, to investigate the strange and the unknown, five unlikely experts... We just can't seem to understand each other. ...must become... So work it out. ...the ultimate team. Pretty kick-ass. Okay, so we are back, and we have just watched 084. That's the second episode of the first season of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I don't know if we mentioned before, but this initially aired on the 1st of October 2013. So, uh, yeah, you kick off, Hannah. What were your thoughts on episode two? Uh, I thought it was solid enough. It was a good episode consolidating the team, getting them to work together, starting to forge those relationships. Very classic structure. has to happen. Still following the... um, Trajectory of the first Avengers film, I think. Um, you know, well, and that they don't really like each other to start with. Yet they come together because there's a common enemy. They assemble. Find out that there say. are things that they like about each other. They can work as a team, and with a bit of hard work, they can get the job with done. A bit of hard work and a touch of spunk. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like the episode though. There was some, there was some really good quips in it. I thought um, Agent Coulson was on fire. It made me chuckle a couple of times, actually. Nothing laugh out loud, just, just yeah, I thought it was good. Solid. Yeah. I, w- I would give it a good seven and a half. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, it's interesting because it felt <clears throat> like a classic second episode of the show and it's funny when I, whenever I think of them and it's funny because I mentioned Jeffrey Bell who was on this works on the X-Files mm. I remember seeing a really interesting it's probably one of the first times I ever watched a behind the scenes on a TV show um, was on the X-Files I remember Chris Carter who created the X-Files um, talking about how often um, the networks don't really understand what a show is until they get a second episode Mm. because a pilot is kind of like a a proof of concept this is what the story is but the second episode actually kind of tells you what the show's going to be like what what is the show going to be on a weekly basis yeah because pilots usually have a little bit more money they're a big episode plot synopsis yeah they they are and they're they're, well they're like their origin stories Mm. whereas like you know you only get to do that once so for example in the case of of the x-files the pilot episode of the x-files was very much uh, about the the conspiracy, mm. you know, the alien. And then the second episode continued that. And Chris Carter always said that he felt that the most important episode of the X-Files actually was the third episode because that was the first time they ever did a story that wasn't part of the kind of grand mythology. Yeah. That was the first time that... The, the, where the, That basically was the episode where the phrase Monster of the Week episode was coined, that third episode of the X-Files. Mm. And they said that that was when they realised they had a show and that's kind of what I got from this is that it was very much a the whole episode essentially was a team building exercise yeah absolutely and still an exercise in explaining who 
um, what the defining characteristics of each character are. Yeah. Like uh, the whole thing about uh, May being the cavalry. You know, it, it it was a little bit like the thing you hate in sitcoms when people say, hey, baby brother, or you know me, I'm yeah. your uncle twice removed yeah. on your father's side. As you know, as you well know, I... Yeah, but, yeah. but I think the, the, the thing about this episode as well was that it... I think it achieved several things. It's interesting looking at this because... And I should have mentioned this at the beginning of the show, actually, although, as I say, I doubt there'll be people who'll be listening to this the first episode, is mm. that Hannah and I, at the moment, we're in the, the non-spoiler um, section of it where yeah. we only talk about things that happened in this episode and, and previous episodes and we'll have a, a little break in a moment before going into spoilers where we talk about this episode within the greater context of the show Yeah, but it's interesting what I will say is it is interesting re-watching this because when you re-watch a show Generally, you're only you only would only do that for a show you like. Hmm. You know, it would be crazy to do it otherwise. And when you're watching an episode of a, of a show or rewatching one, particularly one that you don't, I mean, I remembered bits of it. Is it's actually kind of more enjoyable the second time because you're watching it, and you first of all you've got the added enjoyment of the fact that there are little things peppered in. Yeah. Even though this is quote a standalone that are oh, relevant yeah, for later, there are um, definitely. But you might not even know that the first time you're watching it. No. Um, but also because you you already know the characters or where they go, um, you can enjoy it more so, and you can also see kind of how much the actors really had the. Pretty much all of the main actors have their characters down right from the beginning. Yeah, there's not a lot of change in any of the fundamentals in terms of no. each character. They like obviously they all have their journeys and there are reveals in the characters and, yeah. and and change in that respect. But their fundamental personalities are there. And like the other they're, thing, they're fully established. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the other thing that sort of came to me was that you've got, you've got obviously a big big key thing about this episode is around the idea of coming together to work as a team. But really, clearly, and I think this is good writing because I think when I first watched this, I didn't even realise they were doing it. But now I know the characters and I'm watching it recontextualised as a rewatch. I think they do a really good job of showing specifically the skills and personality of each of the characters because ultimately movies are about events and TV shows are about character. Yeah. And because out of necessity often... um, Well, that's what we talked about in the last episode, how... How, you know, you're not going to have a TV show about Thor. Yes. Yeah, Um, you wouldn't let... I mean, and the Marvel films, as they grew and went on, and kind of became in many ways like a television series, you did get carried. So, I mean, we all, spoiler alert, you know, we all had that those emotional reactions, particularly in um, Endgame when, you know, some characters got towards the end of their storyline because mm. of the almost televisual accumulation of story that had happened. Yeah. But generally speaking... But the events were major. Yeah, exactly. Like, it was yeah. spectacle. Yeah. You know, um, whereas... The events that are happening on the TV show um, for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. are, like, they're significant for a TV show, but they would be, 
you know, morning tea yeah. for the films. And I think you know. there's some little touches in this episode that are really basic, but as silly as it sounds, and you could say, well, this is really obvious, but a lot of people wouldn't think to do this. On a basic level, just having the characters have a beer together at the end of the episode and share yeah. a quiet moment, I think really endears it. But it is interesting as well, because the other thing about this episode is what this episode re- also really solidifies that's hinted at in the pilot, which I think was a turn-off for a lot of people, but actually became the show's greatest strength if you stuck with it, is establishing the genre of the show. Mm. Because people, I think, were expecting... MCU for TV series, whereas what they actually got was essentially a spy, espionage, tech, thriller, action-adventure show. Yeah. A team show. I, and- I sort of feel like they got agents... Uh, agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I feel like they got the A-team with computers. Yes. And it's certainly in season one. This episode really kind of doubles down on that. And is almost kind of daring people it's, it's almost saying to the audience look this is what the show is yeah um at least on a weekly basis for now mm. um it's probably best that you know that at this point mm. and i think that this and i don't want to harp on about this too much because i'm a bit of a broken record about it but when i talked um last time about how the kind of dichotomy around I mean, 2013, when this started, the whole episodic nature of of prestige television and cable and, like, streaming TV shows Mm. is that the whole... the, the, The team on a mission show was, for want of a better phrase kind of uncool at the time yeah. and I think that people sort of went, uh, you know, maybe had a bit of an issue with that and this episode does all down on that um, but yeah so like I say I think sometimes the second episode is the true test and kind of shows you what the show will be the other thing I really liked about rewatching this episode is kind of how fluffy and colourful it is Yeah, you know I like the fact that it isn't there's not really any Dourness. There's a kind of again. I think innocence is they, yeah. Because you know, and this is something we can get into further when we're talking spoilers. But an accumulation of events makes them quite battle worn. Yes, certainly around seasons four, five. Yeah, around there. And that wouldn't have meant anything if there hadn't have been a kind of a golden age. Yeah. But the other thing that people need to kind of remember is where the MCU itself was. At this time, it was still a very... I mean, I've talked before about how the the maturation of the Marvel Cinematic Universe really came around that Winter Soldier time. Mm. You really see a shift. I mean, the, the films are still colourful and fun and funny. I mean, right through, they still are now. There was a shift at that point. And I think the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. even... Actually, no, I'll save that for spoilers. It's not really... It's Yeah, that's probably just sort of mm. riding the edge of that. Well, but, do you um, think we should potentially go into spoilers now? I've got a couple of things I'd like to talk about. Um, I suppose I'll sum up my thoughts by saying that I think that this is a fun, enjoyable episode. And I think in some ways it's even more fun and enjoyable to watch now because we've had another seven years of kind of dark, intense introspective television it's a bit like harry potter coming out of the gray phase yes yeah absolutely Uh, Mm. so it's quite nice i think that the refreshing naivety of the show is even more 
of a tonic now than it was back in 2013. Yeah, it's a real palate cleanser. Yeah, and there's, I think that, that this is... I think this bodes well for the rewatch because I remember when first seeing it being not disappointed for the second episode the first time I saw it but just thinking ah yeah this show isn't quite what I thought it was going to be mm. it kind of looks like a TV show and it does you know because it's like a network oh, show it does, does yeah. watching it in retrospect I'm like hey I actually really enjoyed that mm. so if I enjoyed that then hell, there's stuff coming that I know I'm probably going to oh, love on rewatch. I am you know. so excited to get further into it because because I know what's coming. Yeah, the episodes are fine. The two episodes we've watched are fine, but they are. You know, there's nothing super groundbreaking there. It's a solid action TV series at this stage. Yeah, um, but knowing what's to come just makes it. I sort of want to rush through it and also prolong it at the same time. Just because there's... Okay, well, let's just get into a couple of spoilers. So if you are watching this show for the first time, watching along with us, I would suggest that you um, sign out now. What I think I'll probably need to do is if we bundle this together with some other ones, I'll put the time codes on the show notes. So just look back at your phone and you'll be able to see uh, where you need to jump forward to. But we're probably going to do about about five minutes of of spoilers. So... um, if you aren't going to be continuing, I would encourage you to interact with us at the Chisroka versus Punter Facebook group. Pop some questions up there if you've got anything that you want to discuss or um, if you want to share some thoughts about how you're finding it. Yeah. Um, it'd be great to hear what listeners are thinking of the pilot and episode you know, two so far, mm. um, and be able to interact and discuss that would be fantastic. Yeah, and that's um, Facebook dot com forward slash groups forward slash Cheers Rogue versus Punter. So um, play a quick audio bite, and then we will be back to do spoilers. So uh... welcome to level seven. Sorry, that corner was really dark, and I couldn't help myself. I think there's a bulb out. Good back, everybody. And uh, obviously, I need to say that <laughs> killed Laura Palmer. <laughs> Gonna have a different one every. <laughs> Spoilers. So, what do you want Spoilers, to say? Spoilers. Yes. Um, well, we were just uh, just before we were talking about um, knowing what's to come um, makes it quite enjoyable with their innocence at this stage. Yes. And, and enjoying the colour and the naivety. Yeah. One of and my, the standaloneness as yeah, well. Yeah, definitely. One of my favourite seasons, um, and I, I can't actually remember what season it is, it might be three or four, the one where um, Gemma Simmons goes into the, not parallel universe, but in through the um, the rock thing and goes in with the NASA spaceman. Oh, the one up where... there for like you know years yeah, and years. Yeah, there's, and there's, there's, there's an entire episode where it's just her and one other person in the whole episode, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember what season that is, but you know it's so far removed from where they currently are. And they are. start doing quite a lot of episodes of it. Like a, a, a lot of TV shows have the. What you would call the atypical episode. So, you know, Buffy did this a lot, you know, once more with feeling yeah. and the body and um, oh, hush and things like that. Yeah. Star Trek The Next Generation did like the inner light. Mm. Um, the X Files did like the postmodern Prometheus and like X Cops and things like that. And it's funny because Agents of Shield 
he gets to a point where he starts doing these little experiment epi- experimental episodes, and then he starts doing kind of like experimental story arcs, and then he starts doing experimental seasons, seasons where it's yeah. like this will be the space one, this will be the you know the, the I love the space this, this seasons. will be really on, this season will be on ice, yeah, you know, um, and I love the virtual reality. Um, storyline yeah, as well. Yeah, they did really like good. five parters, didn't they, yeah. for a while around season four or five. Um, in terms of spoilers for this particular episode, um, I like the fact that, you know, they're talking about an 084, an object of unknown origin. Um, that That is, in the finale, it's all about the 084 that puts the device together to be able yeah. to save everyone. I like the fact that it's quite cohesive. They they talk about 084s from the very beginning, yeah. and I hadn't picked up on it, but uh, I, I ha- I've written in my notes about this comment, but I, I didn't write who said it. I don't know if it's Coulson or Ward, mm-hmm. but one of them says, same as you, Sky, an object of unknown origin. So they they like in the first episode, I think it is Ward because in the first episode Ward says Sky, if that's your real name. Yeah, yeah. Now they've said ob- objective unknown origin. It's just foreshad like obviously you never pick up on this to start with, but they're just foreshadowing the fact that there is far more to her. I would than really you know like at this stage to get one of the writers on the show. And just go through a list of when did you know you were going to do this? Yeah. When did you? Like, I've got loads of questions. I mean, like, I'm I'm reading into so much stuff. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, I mean, whether, there's, there's, whether it was by design or a happy. I mean, there's accident. some specific stuff. I mean, obviously, you've got the whole um, Tahiti thing. Yeah. Uh, and the you know, the the grass dress. Um, dancing girl, and and there's a lot of um, references to it being a magical place. Yes, I mean you've yeah. also got all the stuff with May about um, the cavalry. Yeah, uh, and she's like, you know, nobody calls me, don't calls me the cavalry, and yet in the final episode of the whole show, she refers to herself as the cavalry. As the cavalry, it's like mm. that's something. So she kind of makes a peace with it. Yeah, so mm-hmm. it's kind of nice, and it's interesting because. So many of these elements make their way back into the final episodes of season seven, but it's interesting because the end of season five was originally going to be the end of the, sh- the show, and when they mm-hmm. filmed it and wrote it, they thought it was. So it's so interesting that they didn't use those elements then, but when they got to the end of season seven, we're like, oh, we've still got these things in the attic that we can pull down into yeah. the scripts for it. And, and you know, if they hadn't have used those things, it still would have been really strong. Yeah, um, yeah. It's just, I, I suppose they were like just adding that cherry on the top. Well, of I think that I mean one of the the, the, the things either, I would imagine that is or, that like really rooting around in the absolute corners of the yeah. Cupboard. I mean, I mean, I think like for example, if the show had ended at the end of season five, that would have been a satisfying ending. But the mm. thing that, that I think would have been a shame was in that what season five they brought in so many fun new elements, both conceptually, like Patton Oswalt coming back, um, mm. Deke being introduced, yeah. These sort of fun little elements that made the show feel like you know what we probably we could we could do another couple of these and I, it would actually. I'm gutted it's finished. I I think there is still so much they could do with it. Uh, well, the, the the thing is, it's a shame that ABC now they've lost the TV rights to um, the MCU because it's all going to Disney Plus mm. because. 
I still think the spin-off position. I mean, they shot a pilot for. I mean, Dave uh, for, is such a good character. Oh yeah. I mean, well, I mean, they shot a pilot episode. Uh, that's never been aired anywhere for called Marvel's Most Wanted, mm. which was the Nick Blood and Adrian Palicki character. Okay, um, and that was shot to be a pilot. It was written and directed by Jeffrey Bell, actually, who, yeah. who wrote this episode. Um, nothing of it came of that. There's, I know that there was a, there was talk of a spin-off with Mac and. Um, oh, what's her name? His girlfriend in the show. Yo-Yo. And Yo-Yo and one of the other characters. Um, but I, I really I, like the point where Fitz, like, is it season one that that Fitz and Simmons end up in the box? I think that's the, the final of the episode ocean. of season one. Yeah. So um, I love the fact that it ends on them because essentially when you get to the finale, you realise... It's been all about them the whole time. Yeah. A bit like how Sky slash Daisy is Iron Man. Yeah. They are Captain America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're the sort of stealth leads, aren't yeah. they, in some ways? Um, I, like, one of my favourite eras is um, after he's been under the sea and obviously he has kind of the rehab he needs and his brain is different and he... Um, Befriends Mac. That's kind of what ingratiates Mac to the audience, isn't it? Definitely, yeah. You know, um, because that's when Mac and uh, the Adrian Palicki character. I thought you say Mac and Cheese. <laughs> There's a show. I'd watch. It's when those three agents join the cast yeah. because Ward's obviously defected to Hydra by then. Yeah, yeah. That's a really interesting time and and a really fun time. Um, as much as it's a lot more serious and higher stakes and all that, there is still a lot of humour there. Well, I think the difference is whenever people talk about shows getting darker or more serious, people often, I think, mistake darkness with drabness. Mm. And I think you can go dark but still not be drab. Yeah. And that's a mistake a lot of shows make. A lot of shows are like, oh, it's so dark. It's like, no, no, it's drab. Mm. And that's something that I think Agents of Shield always maintains is the characters might find themselves in difficult situations. The stakes may be dire. Mm. And the show visually may actually aesthetically be dark. Yeah. But it's never dull. And that's, it's interesting you say that because, um, like, we've talked previously about how. There was a point where you and I stopped watching it weekly mm. um, because it was almost like it became in the too hard basket because it was getting dramatic and hard. Mm. Like the characters were finding yeah, it. Yeah, and it was, hard. It was getting a bit was, soap operatic yeah, as well. Yeah, and it, it was becoming like they were they were having a hard time and not really winning. Anything. And we were watching it weekly at tough. a time when we were watching a lot of Netflix shows. So yeah. I think that what happens there is you experience kind of diminished patience mm. when you're watching a show on a weekly basis. I mean, I remember the good example I always use is Buffy. Is that when I first got into Buffy, it had already been on for three seasons. Mm. So I essentially binged the first three seasons. Mm. And then when season four started, I was watching it weekly. So if there were a couple of episodes that weren't great... I really, you really felt it. You really noticed it. You know. Yeah, well, what I was going to say is we went from watching it weekly to essentially ignoring a whole season yeah. until it was finished um, and then watching it 
basically in its entirety. Yeah, kind of get into a rhythm and like watching sort of two or three episodes yeah. a night over the course of. So the if there was an episode weeks. that wasn't great, he barely registered. Yeah, it didn't matter. Um, and if you're watching, I mean you're probably not listening to the spoiler section if you're watching it for the first time but I do really recommend saving at least a couple up um, because you don't get you don't really get two bad episodes in a row you might get one that's a bit a bit of a fluff piece you sort of go okay it's fine but it's it hasn't really done anything yeah but then you'll have one with so much exposition yeah. that it kind of makes up for it and you go, okay, a bit like Buffy. Well, yeah. like Buffy, I don't think it's the type of show where you would binge it in a sense of watching like four episodes a night. No. Because it's it's not like a, a show that's designed to be binged in well, the they, sense of, must find out what happens next. No, but, they're an hour long. Um, yeah, but it's it, I think it, it very well lends itself to a one a night definitely kind of way of viewing rewatching it, it it's a little bit in some ways like fringe in the way that when you rewatch it it's odd because when you go back to the first season of fringe you're kind of like oh yeah they did standalones didn't they oh that um, was so monster of the week and, to start. And, and then right down to the fact that the final season of this is a shorter season that's kind of almost like an epilogue. Mm. It, um, it, that's Fringe did the same thing yeah. as well. So there's, there's a lot of similarities there. And the thing that's nice, and this is where I think there's a really strong comparison between the two shows, is that Fringe got to a point where the storyline had grown so complex, and this is all positive, that it kind of became impossible for them to do standalones anymore. They just couldn't do them. So And impossible just to sit down and watch an episode of those latest yeah, yeah. seasons if you hadn't watched All of the it, rest yeah. of it. Um, mm. So what I'm enjoying on this rewatch is, whereas maybe the first time I'm watching it, I maybe got a bit impatient with standalones. Now I'm watching it from the perspective of, oh, I'm going to enjoy these standalones mm. while they last, while they can still, the show can still support doing them. Because say what you want about standalones, the, I always view them as, it's like a short story. It's like you can watch one, you know, before bed, mm. and you've had a story with a beginning, middle and an end where a character has had a story arc and has resolution. Yeah. And that's a very pleasing thing. And for better or for worse, a lot of modern TV shows, um, even the, quote, traditional ones, tight ones, like S.H.I.E.L.D. and Fringe, yeah. get to a point where they can't do that anymore. Mm. So just drink it in and just enjoy these fun oh, escapades yeah. before they go away and you've got season-long story arcs where you kind of feel like you need to keep track with the pen and paper almost yeah you know. yeah absolutely and i mean you and i have said before how um when we started the last season we watched the first episode and we were both like was going what the fuck happened yeah. in the finale of season six like yeah, yeah. we were just lost yeah yeah um and you know not because we hadn't been paying attention it was just like they expect you to keep up. Yeah. They, they, there's no previously on blah, blah, no, yeah, There wasn't, was there? There literally wasn't I mean, one. they do do previously on blah, 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 but within the season, they don't They don't start a new season and go, hey, guys, remember that last season when we did X, Y, Z, blah, blah, blah? Here's a recap of it. Yeah, they, go, they didn't make it easy. Right, you should be up to speed by now. Yeah. Let's continue. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, that's us for tonight. And, yeah, so we will be getting to episode three right after this. Oh, 
people, welcome back, and uh, we are now going to move on to the third episode of season one of Agents of Shield, an episode called The Asset that was uh, that premiered on October the eighth, two thousand and thirteen, and we've got the credits here. This is directed by Milan Shalov. And uh, as was the case with the first two episodes of the season, uh, this is written by Jed Whedon and Marissa Tanker-Rowan. And the plot summary says, Dr. Franklin Hall has been kidnapped. Coulson and his team are assigned to rescue him. Excellent. Okay, so we will uh, hit the play button, as we have done with the other episodes. Um, That will be followed by a uh, non-spoilery uh, review, and then we'll do a little bit of spoilery stuff afterwards. See you on the flip side. Let's go. Engage. Wrong show. See the future, Mr. Coulson, and it's a catastrophe. All new ABC next Tuesday. Their most bizarre case yet. And the attackers? Invisible. Invisible. <laughs> cool. Is her first mission ever. You're going in with no self-defense skills? I have skills? a few tricks up my sleeve. I am trying to protect you. But nothing can prepare them for this. We have to live with the choices we make. Killing innocent people. Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Watch an all-new episode live next Tuesday at 8, 7 central on 8. Okay, so we have just finished watching The Asset. That's the third episode of season one of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So, uh, you start, Hannah. Any thoughts or observations on that episode? I thought it was... A good standalone. It was a bit of an A-team episode. Um, Obviously, they have a little bit of world building in terms of the team and getting Sky solidified within the group. Um, But it's a pretty, it's a pretty much a beginning, middle, and end kind of episode. Yeah, I'd give it. I'd give it a, I don't know, six and a half out of ten. It was fine. Oh, I'd go higher than that myself. I, I mean, I didn't hate it or anything, but it was it was just, it was fine. You yeah, know? I mean, I, I feel it, like... It didn't really push anything on. Um, it just, you know, built the world a wee bit more. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I see that episode as it's an opportunity to spend more time with the characters. Mm. And I think that the, the first episode was very... Um, setting up the what the show is, introducing you to the characters and the concept. The the second episode was showing you the type of stories that they can do, and I think this episode was the just letting it, it kind of breathe. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it it needed to be that kind of episode. I'm I'm not saying that it was bad or in any way. Um, a misstep, mm. I suppose. I just, it is a middle of the road kind of episode. It, it's just a good action episode. Yeah, this is, that's sort of this is what this show does. Yeah. A couple of things I noticed was um, that I think that three episodes in, and you, I think you're starting to see some of the themes of the show emerge. Yeah. And I think that the, the most obvious one is. Uh, and this is a classic TV theme, and something that that Joss Whedon does a lot um, is this idea of displaced people finding a surrogate family yeah. uh, amongst people. There's there's that, but there's also, and this is interesting because now enough time has elapsed from when this was made. I mean, this was made uh, you know seven years ago, but he's made you know the best part of a decade ago, mm. and so enough time has passed 
to be able to kind of look at it within some sort of historical context. And the thing that's really jumping out at me on this rewatch is how much this came out of the era of WikiLeaks mm. and the rise of people like Julian Assange and the idea yeah. that... And this is what I think is interesting about the era is if you look at the 1990s and like let's use, for example, the, the concept of the fridge that they talk about in this, which is, I suppose, the Marvel Universe's equivalent of Area 51, mm. the big storehouse, like the storehouse at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark where the government put all of the weird shit mm. um, and how in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the... Uh, the, the character in this episode that they rescue, who was played by the guy who played Quirrell in Harry Potter, and I think a long-time listeners of Cheesestroker versus Punter. Oh, God, who was right? Who was right about that, Hannah? Um, and who... I think Mike that answers the question. Mike is usually absolutely wrong about shit like this, and for once... <laughs> I think it's right. I Not was right. Not that I'm bitter or anything about it. No, no, your voice certainly doesn't betray that. But but he, his character, Quirrell, from Harry Potter, that is, his character... Uh, do, you, that, do you want me to, like, stab you with a fork or something? I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just... But, but anyway, sorry. The So, the the, the, um, the unmistakable actor... Um, <laughs> uh, no, I'm just kidding. That's not fair. It's only, your only... birthday tomorrow. I can withhold prison. Oh my god, that's uh, no, you can't. Not on yes, my birthday. That's the one day of the year that you can't withhold presents. I, I absolutely presents can. should be given you don't freely. Know where they my... are. Oh, I've, this is a small house. I'll find it. No, you won't. You didn't know where the towels were when I was in labour with our son. Yeah, but I didn't. You know, that's different. If the towels had been in the same room as presents, <laughs> I'd have found them, believe me. You've got to incentivise. Yeah, actually, yeah. <laughs> okay, point proven. Um, but anyway, so so that character, there's a moment, just to go back to the, the, the contextual WikiLeaks, Julian Assange sort mm. of um, um, t- tangent or detour, is that, that he, he says, um, he kind of calls Coulson out for being a bit of a hypocrite. Mm. And you've also got the, the whole tension with Sky coming from this hacker background and now she's kind of working for the man and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because if you look at um Shield, like any pop cultural show being a product of its time, um you can really see a shift in the paradigm because if you look at the nineties, if you look at the, the X Files is is the most obvious mm. pop cultural comparison. In the X the X Files, the villains were the people putting things in the fridge yeah. and trying to suppress them. Yeah. And Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the big difference for defining cultural line in the sand between the X-Files and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is September the 11th, is mm. 9-11. So I think that what happened there was that the X-Files, the philosophy of the time of the 1990s, was that the, the most important thing is truth. Mm. Truth and openness. Even if you have to sacrifice a little bit of liberty and a little bit of your own safety, it's worth it because you lose, lose more by having a nanny culture and you lose more by having men in suits deciding what we do and don't know. Mm. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. came out of a very different world. It came out of a world where um, people were a little bit were willing to sacrifice a little bit of okay, you know, maybe we don't need to know about that for our own safety and our own. And I think it's interesting to to see this show through that prism because that conversation, this idea of the perspective, the the, the arguably the naive perspective that Sky has in the first episode, where she's just like, "You guys are suppressing the truth, therefore you are bad." And then you've got characters like Grant saying to her, 
well, no, you know, it isn't that simple. Mm. If people knew this, there would be panic and mm. it would be problematic. And yeah. there's all of those. And I think that the, the, the dual themes of surrogate families and the cost of openness and honesty and also the personal cost of having to exist in the shadows, even in these first three episodes, are pretty clearly the themes of the show at this point. Mm. Yeah, know? definitely. One thing I thought, and it's probably just because I know it has the Whedon connection, um, and obviously, you know, being a big fan of Buffy. Um, I but not of, Firefly, weirdly. No, <laughs> no. Um, I sort of feel like Sky has... She's kind of like the perfect hybrid of Buffy and Faith. She yeah. has, She has Faith's, like need to be loved to belong family bit of a chip on a shoulder yeah absolutely a chip on a shoulder quite ballsy um but she also has buffy's morality yeah and, like, a, and vulnerability and, as well and, yeah and in this episode they do play with that a lot because at one point you do think oh okay maybe she's not i thought good. this was the episode that Chloe Bennett was strong has been strongest in out of the three. Yeah, you know, like the moment there's, there's a couple of comedy beats that she she lands really well. Yeah, and yeah, I think definitely. she was a little uncertain with those in the mm. first couple of episodes. Yeah, no, I thought she was really good. Um, yeah, it was it was just nice to see those elements, but it, it's interesting considering you know Joss Whedon is behind it that yeah. there are. You know, she could fit into Buffy the Vampire Slayer with no problem. Yeah, and although although Whedon, as we said on the first episode, and really for the first and only time, did a bit of a bit of a JJ Abrams and kind of created the show, cast it, and then stepped back. Yeah, but it is interesting to see how many of his tropes are are in there. So, for I mean, for example, you know, you mentioned um, Sky and her similarities. You've got. Are in many ways the dynamic between Fitz and Simmons has a little bit of that early Xander and Willow kind yeah, of thing going definitely. on there, yeah. and um, and and Ward is um, he's kind of a weird amalgamation of Angel and Giles in these early episodes. Oh, in I the, think Giles is definitely Coulson. There's a bit a bit of all of them. Like, so for example, if you look at Grant's relation, Grant Ward's relationship with. Daisy, obviously, because unlike Buffy and Giles, because they're peers, there's obviously there's there's the potential the potential romantic thing that you always mm. have with the you know the hot leads of the show. Yeah. But there is an element of the fact that he, um, he's kind of irritated by how flippant she is and just wants her to buckle down. That's very much a Giles thing. No, um, but that that's but also but an angel thing. No, it is. That's what I'm saying. That's why I say he's an amalgamation. Mm. And then you've got, as you say, you've got Coulson, who is also has. The kind of the paternal element that Giles would have, particularly in later seasons of Buffy as well, and um, I just I don't I I think I think Ward is definitely Angel in that sense because you know I I I think Coulson is the Giles character. I don't think there's any Giles in mm. Ward. No, I, I think there is, I think there is in the interactions. But anyway, that it's not Buffy. No, but I think that when when a show is conceived by the same person as another show, I think it's reasonable to look at the sort yeah. of the otoristic similarities that, mm. you, that are inevitably going to uh, sort of stick out there. Uh, the other thing as well I think about this episode is that it, again it is very much. Um, a reminder to the audience that 
you know, this is a, a team action show, mm. um, and that it has, like I say, a lot to a lot in common with a lot of shows that were around at the time as well. I mean, um, a few years before, you'd had um, Alias, um, yeah, and I think that that feels similar. You'd also you'd had. Um, you know, twenty four mm-hmm. uh, was another show that had a lot of that kind of post. Um, oh god, I can't remember the name of the film. What's the Ridley Scott helicopter movie? Black Hawk Down. You know that that post nine eleven kind of um, man from Uncle, but with a almost to, um, Tom Clancy techno ish sort of element to it. Mm. Um, and I think another thing is that, that I mean we've mentioned before about how I think some audiences felt that they weren't getting the show they were expecting is that. I think that when you th- you think of Shield, you think of this huge organisation, and this is very much a team. It's it's a smaller yeah um, depiction of it. You know, you're not seeing this huge international operation. You're well, seeing I like, li- I like a, a niche that, corner of yeah, it. Yeah, I, I like the fact that the opening credits show, like initially, you think that it's maybe bad guys, the guy in the truck. Like you don't know if they're good guys, bad guys, whatever. Yeah. Um, but the fact that that's another uh, Shield team was quite good because it was just a different branch yeah, of, it reminds of you the same organisation. Yeah, yeah. Mm. There's, there's almost like they're almost like cells. Yeah. of uh, these these sort of groups. Um, also, you know, I think it's worth mentioning that these episodes still look good. I mean, they're seven mm. year old. Oh, they do. Um, network TV shows. Yeah, I'm excited for Ming-Na Wen to be in more and this episode signifies that because she says about how she wants to be considered for field operatives after saying she doesn't want yeah, to be. Yeah, yeah, for some undisclosed... Um, yeah, because she's she is such a good character and mm. she's exciting to watch. Um, she has a lot of depth to her and, mm. and I'm, I'm just... I'm looking forward to seeing her... In a bigger capacity, because up till now she has very much been the a, person a that drives presence. the plane. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. Okay, well, drives um, the plane, flies the plane. That's now, a bit like our what did I call a? I can't even think of the name. Arm wrestle. <laughs> a, a, a wrist fight or something. <laughs> a wrist I can't battle. remember. Fisticuffs. You are talking to the person who refers to the crowd at football games as the audience, though. Yes, so, I, know. I mean, uh, I'm not really going to throw I know you're not going to judge me. But okay, well, um, well, let's say goodbye to those who are uh, watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. for the first time. We will um, take a short break, and when we return, we will get into a few spoilers. Welcome to Level 7. Sorry, that corner was really dark, and I couldn't help myself. I think there's a bulb out. And we're back. Guess what, people? Haley Joel Osment sees dead people. <laughs> okay, I have a couple of spoilers. I, I'd i like to start with something that, um, Mike, you and I actually pause the episode to talk about this and then go, save it, save it for yeah. the actual podcast. Save it for nights. So we're both wondering whether this is the point where the showrunners know that... Hydra is going to be a thing. Uh, well, and more specifically, that, that Ward is going to be part yes, of Hydra because, because we, we're wondering if they've been retconning the truth serum thing. Because I, like I had said in the pilot, um, it seems odd that uh, 
he didn't disclose anything under the truth serum that why didn't he give anything away even if it was something not completely overt but a nod to the fact that he is um a double agent all of the truths that he told when he was under the quote truth serum were all truths that were consistent with him being a good guy yeah so where after that episode uh, and I think we, 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 we talked about it a little bit on the show, but I think we did talk about it a little bit off air. Mm. Hannah was saying, well, did they know? Did the writers know? And at what point, if they did, is that just a continuity error? To me, it or, just felt really inconsistent yeah. with the character. So explain what was said in this episode that makes you think that at some point between then and now, okay, the so word may have this, come down from... In this uh, episode, Sky is being trained by Ward. He is her SO. He's trying to engage her and um, get her fired up to learn all of the physical things that she needs to know to be a field And he's struggling to relate to her. Yeah, and he's struggling to connect. And she makes some quip about oh, maybe you should take some more truth serum and then you can reveal things to me or whatever Mm. she says. I can't remember exactly. And he basically intimates that he wasn't under truth serum at all, that it was a fake out to get her on board. But similar to how, oh gosh, what was it that they used quote, the death of Coulson to motivate the Avengers. And that's kind of like a shield, but it's if a shield playbook to kind of do it like that. Yeah. So I was saying to Mike, like, was that thought out or is that a retcon because at this point, they know Ward's going to be a bad guy at yeah. some point. My my suspicion, and I've got no basis for this, and I'm sure you could find this out by looking on Wikipedia, uh, and I think when we get to this point in the series, I'll look into it a little bit more, and I, I definitely want to reach out to some of the writers, but my suspicion is that there came a point where word came down, uh, hey guys, um, we're going to have this, this big plot twist in Captain America 2, uh, you really need to know about it because it, it's going to involve S.H.I.E.L.D. And I think at that point, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the, if the showrunners went, well, you know what, it would be great if we could represent that storyline by revealing that one of our characters has actually been a Hydra operative all along, just to really... Because the whole point, the whole idea of that plot twist is that Hydra are just entrenched and seeded. Yeah. Hydra kind of are S.H.I.E.L.D. in many ways. Yeah. Um, and you know the idea of like Hydra being this multi tentacled beast is it would be reasonable that if you get a bunch of if you get seven or eight shield agents together, one of them is going to be sort of tainted by that. Yeah, and I, and I think that they probably thought at that point, well, this would be the best characters to do it because this is the character that's um, you know romantically or at least potentially romantically related, so you can do a mm. bit of that. A uh, bit of that Buffy and Angel kind of stuff, or yeah. whatever. But that's where the most interesting conflict would be. Mm. Um, and th- at that point, they were like, "Shit! Well, that wouldn't make sense because we had this scene in the pilot, and pilots are generally written substantially before the show yeah. as well. Yeah. So um, I think that that would kind of kind of make sense. But um, if that is the case, the showrunners." They must have been pissed. Hell yeah. Like, oh, thanks, guys. We've made a show called Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. 
you know, and now We've you've got written a film romantic, that good, completely good destroys lead. that. Yeah. Uh, no, but, but but I mean, there's no shield left at the end of no of of, of so. Um, I mean, I I, I see, but to, that happens more than once. Yes, but that's the big one. Mm. I would say that that was the most disruptive element. Uh, another thing I want to mention as well but that was kind of a spoiler is because it, it does refer to things that happen later on in the show, mm. is that it's really in- another historical context that's interesting to think about the show is if you compare the show in season one to later seasons, how much more diversity there is in later seasons? Yeah. Because if you look at this, you've got Fitz and Simmons, you've got Grant, you've got Colson. There's a lot of white people in this. Yeah. And one of the things that I have always admired S.H.I.E.L.D. from, and it, it comes pretty soon, is you, you've you got Mac, you've got, I can't remember his name, but there's another African-American lead who's in it for quite a while, the one who's the grandson of one of the guys from, from Agent well, Carter. Well, you've got Jay August Ritz. Yeah, you've got, um, obviously, you know, you, you do have, like, ming Um mm-hmm. but also, uh, and Chloe, Chloe Bennett as well, she she isn't Caucasian, she, she's mixed race. You also have um, um, Yo-Yo, as mm-hmm. well, yep. so you've got a Latino character, and one of the things that I've always, uh, and an, another franchise, a franchise that's similar in a lot of regards that I think doesn't get enough credit for its diversity as well is the Fast and Furious franchise. Yeah, yeah. and it's funny how one thing that has occurred to me, and this isn't a criticism; it's just purely an observation. Is watching these last few episodes, I'm like, man, there's a lot of white people in this, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and I think that. Um, yeah, if that, I, I, it's good that they diversified. Yeah, yeah, it is, and, it. and they do it really quickly. Yeah. And even in the early episodes, to its credit, for a show that came out in two thousand and thirteen, it is pretty diverse from the from the get go. Mm. But they really double down on that as the show goes mm. on, and I think that's good because so much of the show is about that. It's about adopted family, and it's about how all of these characters are different to each other. Uh, you know, so, I mean, some of them are. And also about you need to judge a person on who they are, not any preconceived, you know, societal notions of what someone is or isn't. It's their actions and a lot of the subplots as well, like things like the the Inhumans arc is very much about, you know, there's a kind of... um, a social justice um, subplot there. And there's a social justice, when we mentioned this subplot, in the pilot as well, like the idea that we now live in a world where there's these gods these superheroes what does that do to normal people and how does that make them feel about themselves does that make them feel like lesser people and i think that it's very it's not a huge stretch to to look at that as a kind of a metaphor for minorities or you know people who are marginalized mm. there's a i mean there's a great bit in the pilot where jay august richards is talking about how he you know he's like i'm doing this for my son and they're like, look, you know, you're making yourself ill. You're you're alienating yourself from the sun. This is really bad. And he's like, but but what other choice do people like me have? Yeah. And it almost feels like it could just be the story about a young African American guy who's having to turn to crime to feed his kid because there's no opportunities for him. Yeah. But but the show is using in the same way that Star Trek did in the sixties. It's using the the filter of science fiction mm. to get that across without feeling like you're being lectured to because mm. it's got superpowers <laughs> and all of those kind of mm. things. And I think that it's interesting that the show itself, it's almost as though the show itself realised, hey, you know what? We're kind of preaching these things, but we maybe could be doing a little bit more. 
from, from a diversity perspective, like yeah. di- diversity and the importance of diversity is like a subtextual part of the of the actual storyline. And I think it's good that the show really quickly actually reflects that. Mm. And one of the ways that they managed to do that is by jettisoning one of the white, you know, the, the white See, guy. The white you know, um, Just to get on to the other spoiler point that I noticed, um, they really flag up the whole... Coulson not having muscle memory about um, dearming someone or like fixing a gun. Oh yeah, I didn't catch that. Um, now you mention it, I do. But yeah, I I just like I can't. It, it's it's seven years since I've seen mm. this season, so I can't remember the way it plays out. But I feel like that is connected to the fact that he died. There's probably there some body? significance about the fact that he can't remember how to do yeah, that something's because been signposted his hands, that. his muscles haven't done that before. And I feel like that's just a little nod to the audience that there's something amiss here. There's some reason that he can't remember how to do this. And this is another reason why I staunchly defend this show. It's one of the things that I think the show does really well is that it has a lot of continuity and it has a lot of subtle foreshadowing and you know it does call back to things that happened in previous episodes like the um the truth serum they could have just mm. let that go and just go yeah. well people won't remember that but they were like well, no no we we should address this because people might go back and watch this again mm. in 2020 and do a podcast about it <laughs> with a guy who's a fucking genius for recognizing incidental oh, shut from up Harry, oh Harry my Potter god movies. you know they would they might say he recognizes um, one person correctly and how long have we been together nine years I'll tell you what my brain one like, person it's in like nine my synapses years. were firing like the fucking imdb that they Fuck are and um, but um he does that you know the show does remember but he doesn't brag to the audience about it it's actually one thing I've been loving is are those little nods because you know I've watched all seven seasons I know what happens I know the overarching storylines and plot developments you know I might not remember every detail but I know what happens to every character this is something this is this is a thing I I know this but it's lovely to be able to go back and go it was signposted okay I missed it first time round but it it fucking was there and it's also good you you touched on something yesterday that um, got me thinking was that you were saying about how how much more enjoyable these episodes are knowing how good the show gets to be. Yeah. Not that these aren't good and that it gets... And that like, not no, that no, it, I'm enjoying it, them. It's not, but like, it's, just, not, it's not like yeah. season one, next generation. But the point is, is that when you're watching it for the first time, you'll be, you might be like, well, you know, I think this is good, mm. but who knows where it's going to go. But when you know that the writers, that when they were filming this episode, they'd obviously already written all of the first season. Yeah. Um. So they, when they were filming this, you... you, you we now know, with hindsight, that they already knew that all the stuff that was going to be happening, all the stuff with the Bill Paxton character mm. coming into it, yeah. and all of this this stuff. So you can watch it, and it, it it elevates it because it takes a lot of the pressure off you as a viewer. Yeah, it takes a lot of the uh, I don't know should I uh, uh, because you can just watching it and be like, oh, I love the way these characters are having this little interplay moment. And you kind of, it takes a lot of the, the sort of almost the audience anxiety about it. That's why I would love to one day do this with Babylon 5. Yeah. Because if, if you want to talk 
re-watching something Continuity. and just being yeah. able to relax and yeah. go oh that's and then being and having the format of just talking about the episode and how, what mm. you thought the performances were like but then being able to go a little bit deeper and go yeah because that's this this that that would be a great show to do that on. but it, but it, i think that me, i'm surprised at how much of that there is in these early episodes yeah for me i'm i'm just delighted about the fact that i feel like this because there's always that worry that you're going to go back to the start and rewatch stuff and just be disappointed because the start isn't as good as the rest of it or you know it, it may have got better but the start sucked or like i mean next gen the first season is pretty bad mm. i mean you you have your exception to the rule episodes but by and large it's not good oh there's episodes in that first season of next generation i've not watched in 25 years yeah but I would have to say, I, I mean, obviously, we're three episodes in. It could all take a nosedive. No, I think if it was going to be shit, it would be the first three episodes. Yeah, that yeah. Would be shit. I mean, the second episode of Next Gen was old Data and Tasha Yar having sex. I quite like it? that episode. I do too, but you know, <laughs> it's bad. It's ah, bad. I don't know. I don't it know. is. Maybe. I mean, I'll just watch it. It's my birthday like... tomorrow, so I get to decide what we're watching in the evening. Oh, That's the best decision. on a bike. We're going to watch four hours of season one of Star Trek The Next Generation tomorrow night, just no, to spite. Um, anyway, what I was trying to say is it, it's so nice to see the starting point of this is engaging and interesting and they have got their characters pegged and they know how to build on them. And okay, they might not have known exactly where the story was going at the very beginning, but the fact that they, um, like, they obviously have the tools to be able to move the story fluidly how they need Oh, they're to. agile. You know, and the, yeah. I think the... the and, uh, and to be able to signpost a few things without it being a... Here's like, yeah. look at this because this is. I will place something amazing. this knife down here. Yeah. In ca- and let me tell you again how I am a dab hand at archery. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, I'm a world class gymnast. You know, <laughs> just saying. I'm not. I'm not suggesting yeah. it'll prove useful later. Yeah. But uh, another it, it, thing as well. It, it, I mean, this is a point yeah. relating to what you said a moment ago about how, you know, the um, how they establish the characters. And I think that they they say a lot with very little as well. Like I like the moment at the end where um, Colson says to May, "Are you doing this for me, or are you doing this for the cause?" And she mm. said, "They're the same thing." Mm. And that tells you everything you need to know about that character is that yeah. her loyalty is him. Yeah, it's not the bureaucratic institution of um, you know the strategic homeland security. It's um, that he's her guy. so Which is interesting because do you remember that she and Ward end up... Oh, yeah, no, it's not. I think it's, it's not a romantic thing with her and Coulson at this point. No. I think it, it's more a... Um, She's a, a, super loyal to him. Well, it's their kindreds. Mm. You know, it's a kindred thing. And I think it, it, it becomes a romantic thing mm. as the show goes on. But I think that at this point she's incapable of being in a romantic relationship because of the things that you learn. She's incapable of feelings. Yeah. Which is uh, ironic considering she becomes an empath. 
at the end. Well, yeah, basically. yeah, yeah. And I think that's a deliberate thing. They were like, mm. "What's the what's the worst thing we can do to this character?" Yeah, yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, so that's everything that I've got for this episode. Have you got anything else you want to no, mention? No, I'm all done. That is so. Uh, okay, so um, I'm just thinking that that was. Uh, let's have a look. That was 40 minutes yesterday. We did an hour. I think maybe maybe we'll do one more. Uh, we'll attach that, and then we'll have like a sort of two and a half hour one of like three episodes. I think that's a. Uh, good sort of uh, yeah, that's, you know, that's solid it's a good slice of beef yep. uh, so that is us um, we've already told you how you can reach us so do those things do one of those uh, also um, I always forget to say this but reviews on iTunes or Apple Podcasts as it's been called for the last eight or nine years <laughs> I really need to get used to that <laughs> um, I'm catching up now so uh, yes so that's us um, for uh, now and we will be back with episode four of season one of uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, well, right now. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. We are now moving on to episode four. Um, if everything goes according to plan, that means that this will be um, the third and final episode of the second chunk of episodes that we're releasing. Yep. So... Um, so, yeah, what we're going to do is, um, do you want to give us the plot synopsis of this episode, Hannah, and tell us maybe who directed it and who wrote it? Sure. Uh, this episode is called I Spy. Um, plot summary is the team tries to track down a former agent who is now stealing valuable information. Uh, this is directed by Roxanne Dawson um, and stars all our favourite characters that we're becoming to know and love the whole gang um yeah and this is um this is written by jeffrey bell who i mentioned last time he was the kind of um the designated grown-up that yep. was appointed to it um what is interesting a couple of things just from the credits before we move into the episode though is roxanne dawson is um balana torres from star trek deep space nine you know the klingon oh right uh, and and she went to what they call star trek well they, they call it frakes university because jonathan frakes was the first person to do it where star trek actors are always given the opportunity to direct an episode if they're willing to put the time in right and roxanne dawson along with jonathan frakes lavar burton and also um oh gosh who's the other one um robert duncan mcneil the guy who played tom paris but roxanne dawson Right. You know, so she's having a having a you know a very a, a very good career. So it's yeah, I'm just looking at her IMDb actually. Um, she's not just done Star Trek, you know. No, she's actually... and she she directs three episodes of Agents of Shield. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's also done House of Cards and you know various other bits and pieces. So yeah, yeah, amazing. I think it's also interesting as well. That, I mean, and this this is a standard. Um, IMDb thing where they credit not just the writer of the episode, but you've always got the standard Stanley and Jack Kirby because of the based on Marvel comics by, mm. and then of course you've got the Joss Whedon, Joss Whedon and Marissa Tankeron created by. But I love the fact that Stanley and Jack Kirby, who was his his partner at the time, yeah. creative partner, I should clarify, um, get a credit for every episode of this from a writing perspective. Yeah. So uh, yeah, their families are very well, uh, very well looked after. I would say. Um, I think we've. I think that's probably all we need to do to lead into this one. So yes, I, I can remember nothing about this episode. I can remember a little bit about it, and I feel like this is probably a point where it's going to start getting quite interesting and story arc like. Oh, okay, cool. All right. Well, um, we will um, 
play a couple of promos perhaps or put some sort of audio bite in here just to separate things out but uh, and then you can then rejoin us for the spoiler free section so if you are re-watching sorry if you are watching agents of shield for the first time then you're all good and then we'll do a um a small um spoiler section at the end where we'll perhaps talk about um how it relates to the the larger arc of yeah. the show Okay. So, uh, cool. Back in a moment. All new ABC next Tuesday. A rogue agent with extraordinary powers. We have to bring her in. You have to take her out. Determined to destroy the team, even though he trained her. She's not being watched. She's being controlled. He can't contain her. I kill you, or they kill me. You're a robot. Can you do that? Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. All new next Tuesday at 8, 7 central on ABC. And see the season from the very beginning on Watch ABC. Okay, so welcome back. Uh, I am. Uh, we have just watched episode four of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. season one. Uh, so, uh, Hannah, why don't we enjoy a couple of adult beverages and uh, discuss what our... beverages. <laughs> beverages. Somebody's had a beverage already. Uh, no, that's just, that's how the word is pronounced. I'm not going <laughs> to, uh, I'm not going to take that back. So, uh, what were your uh, initial non-spoilery thoughts on uh, episode four of season one of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Um, okay, so I like the fact that it builds on the team dynamic um each each member of the team finding the role um sky uh being useful rather than someone who um is a bit of a liability in terms of the actual field agent process you know she comes into her own with hacking and um coming up with solutions to how they can get ahead I like the fact that you're actually using like shield terminology as well, like liability, like oh, uh, totally. or, or an asset. Totes. Well, <laughs> you know, so down with the lingo. Um, being, being a renowned espionage agent as you are. <laughs> well, exactly. Um, you realise this is all a ruse, and I am working for the FBI. Oh yeah, I know. Yeah. Oh I, shit! I shouldn't have said that. Yeah, you you talk Damn in your it. sleep, darling. I actually laughed a couple of times in this, which, you know, people say, oh, I laughed out loud, when they actually didn't. It's very rare that I ever laugh out loud. Actually, lol. Yeah. Um, I did a I did a, a bit of a chuckle um, when Coulson said that, uh, the quote, I live outside the box, um, because, well, for two reasons, really. I thought it was... Um, it was it was funny of him to say that and and puts him in this yeah um, this amazing agent kind of way which he is, but also I can imagine you saying something like that <laughs> mainly did, to our children. It's funny because I I made a note of that moment as well, but for me, it was um, the way that Sky reacted. Yeah. To it, she sort of gave him this look of like, I can't believe you've just said that. Oh my that. god, Dad. Uh, and, yeah. <laughs> but it's funny because that's almost a moment where it was non-verbal. So I wonder whether it was even actually scripted. Mm. Like I suspect, and that that's the reason I made a note of it was that it was written to actually be an earnest moment. But I, I suspect that when they played it on set, particularly with just how um, Clark Gregg, you know, particularly if you look at his earlier roles in things like The West Wing, mm. he. He's all, he gives good sarcasm. Yeah. And I think it's just that what are those lines coming out of his mouth have to be um, 
viewed as being uh, ironic. Mm. So she sort of looks at him like, yeah, okay, whatever. Uh, and I, but I do wonder the fact that that wasn't an, a non-verbal moment, whether it was scripted or not. But uh, but yeah, no, I caught that one as well. I did really like that moment, and I thought it was a good comedy beat to start the episode with. It was quite early on, um, so that was good. I don't know how many people have listened to our other Shitstorm 2020 episodes, specifically the Rocky one, uh, where we go back and talk about the Rocky films, but there's a moment in this where um, the the agent who has stolen the diamonds is meeting up with her Russian person who's liaison yeah who's gonna um take the diamonds and he's checking the merchandise um and she's essentially got the diamonds hidden in a bath bomb um and he wants to make sure that it is what it says it is paulie's leg of lamb yeah this is what (laughs) i have written a note that said what happened to the handful of diamonds that they dissolved the bath bomb around? It's like Rocky Five with the side of beef all over okay. again. Uh, well, it was Rocky Balboa, actually. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. I couldn't but, remember but, but, if it was Rocky uh, Five uh, or Rocky Allow Balboa. me to contextualise this conversation a little bit for people who are new. There's a really moving scene in Rocky Balboa uh, <laughs> where Paulie, uh, Rocky's brother-in-law, um, comes, well, I suppose ex-brother-in-law because he's now a widower, um, comes to see Rocky in his restaurant and he comes in drunk with a leg of lamb that he took from the meatworks where he's just been made redundant. I'd say it's a leg of beef. It's uh, a big leg, leg of beef. Okay, so I, I don't know. It could be a leg of fucking <laughs> giraffe for all I know. That's how much animal <laughs> um, <laughs> physiology I understand. But um, And they have this big emotional scene and Rocky's talking about how, um, you know, how angry he is uh, about how life has just fucking, you know, rolled him a boner, you know, and that he's just, his wife's died and how terrible it is um, and how he wants to fight again to let this sort of demon out. All Hannah took away from this scene was what happened to the leg of beef, <laughs> you know, because it got left out there. And and I, I kind of get what you mean, like in, in the scene, in, in this scene, you have the whole bath bomb reveal. All, um, all I... I was so preoccupied with, well, what do they do with that handful of diamonds? Like, the other ones are still in their golf ball disguise, but what do they do with that one? Yeah, and I like, think... have, they got, have they got extra bath bomb materials that he has to then make up one? Yeah, is, is it like a 3D printer kind of scenario? Do you have to like, drop, drop them into the machine? That's a, that's a fair question. I think, I think a lot of that is, that's a TV thing, that's just a... Of course it is. How they quickly even, it moves. They weren't even in his hand in the next... Like yeah, yeah. the next frame of the scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it, but, but I think that it says a lot about your powers of observation. I think it says probably more about my personality than anything. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the next time that I need to smuggle diamonds, I'll make sure that you're involved in the operation because that's the kind of just go-getting thoroughness that, uh, you know, I'd appreciate. In that I mean, situation. that's the side of me that picked up spelling mistakes in a... In, in, a friend's wedding invitation, yeah. you know, when you're just supposed to be saying, oh, doesn't that look nice? Yeah, and also, you know, that's the sort of part of your personality that picks up in all of the, you know, the small imperfections in my, you know, husbandly... <laughs> small? Small imperfections? Those sort of, you know, you, know, mm. you are the... You're the improver <laughs> in this relationship. And, uh, uh, mm. 
I might pick them up. It's whether you do anything about them. Well, you know, some people require more improvement <laughs> than others, I suppose. Um, yeah, so that kind of, um, that distracted me for a good while. I thought, I have a couple of thoughts, but I'll save them for the spoilery part of our episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did, it, this episode reminded me a lot of Fringe, um, season one of Fringe. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, um, in the sense that... Um, well, I'd say X-Files and, and Fringe, because season one of Fringe is the X-Files, right. essentially. For me, um, when when Sky is talking about um, how she sort of floats the idea that maybe the assassin could have ESP, and she says something about how I would have thought that that was crazy, but now, you know, having seen what I've seen... Yeah, the, the Battle of New York um, and, and all of And I that. sort of remember Peter having the same epiphany in season one of Fringe. Well, like, Scully. Yeah, yeah. Well, I haven't seen mm. X-Files, no, so but I don't you, know. You but, know the, the Scully, Mulder, yeah, cynic believer kind I'm of... I'm going on yeah. what I know. Yeah. Peter was very, like, believed what was in front of him and thinking outside the box was not really his thing Mm. Um, and then presented with all these crazy alternatives to how something can be done Um, you know coming up with that realisation that pardon me just because something is um, uh, inconceivable to to the logical mind Mm. doesn't mean it's out of the realms of possibility and Sky is coming to that realisation that what she knows and what is in her day-to-day life uh, is perhaps not all it seems and there is a far larger world that she is only just scratching the surface of. And one of the, the positives, I think, of the Marvel Universe is that because characters like that can become annoying, you know, because when you have a character who is saying, oh, I don't believe this, or mm. Scully would always run into the room 30 seconds after this crazy fucking thing had oh, happened yeah. right. because she was the cynic. And it, it got to a point where... It's a bit like the person who never sees Superman. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, you know, or, or, or my friends who went around that time Spider-Man turned up. Oh, the woolen, <laughs> the woolen Spider-Man. They missed it all up. They missed it. The balaclava Spider-Man. Um <laughs> And that can become because, for example, Scully in the X Files is a really good example because she's the archetype. I mean, that's a, that's a, it's become a descriptive term. You know, I mean, in Buffy, she says to Giles, like, you know, I can't believe you're trying to Scully me. You know, yeah. it, that, that's that it's that kind of eponymous mm. with with um, you know, but the problem, the difficulty when you're writing somebody like a Scully or uh, Peter in season one of mm. Babylon uh, of Babylon Five, a uh, Fringe, <laughs> is that you. It makes the characters look stupid. Yeah. And you don't want your lead characters to or look very, stupid. Or very straight-laced and sort of, for want of a better phrase, Republican. Yes. So, so for I mean, and, and you don't want to do that. It's the same way that, like, that's the difficulty that writers have when you have a recurring villain, mm. is that you want your villain to be threatening. But ultimately, each week, the good guys need to get away. Mm. So how do you not make your villain seem ineffectual mm. um, while that happens? Like for, A good example of that was when Hannah and I recently watched The Mandalorian, yeah. the, the, the Star Wars Disney Plus series, and we watched the Disney Gallery series, and they were saying that one of the benefits that their show had was that they weren't 
given um, all of the lead characters because they said if you had a TV series and you had Darth Vader in it and at the end of every episode Darth Vader was like oh you pesky people good guys you've got away with it again sooner or later Darth Vader would start to seem kind of lame yeah because you'd be like well you know the good guys have got away again mm. so by not by removing that from the equation it helps and one of the things about the MCU about the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe that's good is that at the end of the first Iron Man film Tony Stark says, I am Iron Man. Mm. So all of the mystery of the universe is revealed. And that's taken one step further at the end of the first Avengers movie when there's a very public um, alien invasion. Yeah. So what happens there is that this whole idea that somebody could say, hey, that's not believable, um, is gone. And yeah. weirdly enough, that's a very... And, and that's where Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. starts, isn't it? Yes. Just after the first and, Avengers. Uh, but, but looking at this from a sort of autoristic point of view, that's a very Joss Whedon thing. Like, there's yeah. a great line in, it's like the second or third episode of uh, Firefly, where uh, Wash's <laughs> wife says to him, um, she, she suggests something, and Wash is like, that's completely unbelievable. And she's like, honey, we live on a spaceship. And he's just like, all right, <laughs> like, okay, that that makes complete sense. Yeah. So I think that it's it's good that they've got that out of the way. And the MCU, because it's funny, because we've talked about obviously Shield a lot in these episodes mm. about Shield, but we haven't talked that much about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And one of the things that that the MCU did that is different to the comic books, that is different to Marvel, is that Marvel did the whole secret identities, Spider Man and Iron Man. They wore mm. masks. People didn't know who they were. Part of the drama and the ongoing narrative of that was them trying to balance their two lives yeah trying to have their relationships and keep their identity secret and that was a really big part of it and of the comics of the comics right and but in the in the cinematic universe they made a decision really early on you know what let's just fucking get rid of that i mean i mean spider-man that's only happened in far from home yeah yeah but even then they've got you know spider-man had been around for like 40 years Mm. in comic books before he he was publicly known yeah so i think that it's interesting that the mcu uh, made the decision that they weren't going to use the um trying to hide who you really were Uh, and again to use the joss whedon comparison um Buffy's a really good example of that because Joss Whedon always said that a big influence on Buffy was Spider-Man, the mm. idea of the teen hero who was trying to balance, trying to have a social life and go to the prom and yeah. do all of these normal things with keeping their identity safe from Joyce Summers or Aunt May. or you know, And there's, there are these yeah. um, kind of comparisons and that kind of trying to deal with the responsibility of heroism mm. versus the selfish needs of an adolescent, you know. And... Um, I think that that when the MCU, it's uh, from cinematically decided, okay, we're not going to be concerned with, you know, like like on DC, you've got, you know, will Lois Lane find out that Clark and Superman are the same person? Mm. You know, um, they've just kind of just hand waved that away. Um, I think that that's bled over into Agents of Shield, where you'll have these little moments where, as you mentioned, like Sky will say. Um, Oh, but surely that's not part. Oh, actually, fuck it. You know, we've just had aliens mm. attack New York. Yeah. You know, but it's kind of that will get referenced, but then pushed away because she is the um, the voice of the audience. But what what I liked about it is she's the one floating the idea, and it's the Shield scientists who are going idiot. 
you know, it won't be yeah. that. It'll be some tech that she's got about her person. Mm. Um, and it was quite nice because you've you've then got the the new recruit who is starting to drink the Kool Aid and believe the Coulson Aid. The Coulson Aid, <laughs> um, but like she's having her mind open to lots of different possibilities. And then you have, you know, the, you know, they are new agents, but they are within the system. They are, you know, they've, they've been in the system they've been a while. In, they've been in, they've had their induction. Yeah. Um, so they've seen enough to know what woo-woo stuff is woo-woo mm. and what, what could be something to follow up on. Um, and I quite like, I quite like the um, back and forth with that, and and it it sort of solidifies the relationship between Sky and Fitz and Simmons. You know, they're starting to become a nice little trio, the three mm. of them. Um, yeah, yeah who that, are going to help each other out because Fitz and Simmons are new as well, and and as much as they are super intelligent and know their fields and experts and blah 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 they're still very new so they they are in situations that they've not been in before um they haven't really done any field operations so you know they are fish out of water the same way she is yeah and And they're all experiencing it together and grant ward is kind of there to represent shield Mm. he's kind of the man, so to speak, quote. Because yeah. Coulson is um, this kind of, I think even within Coulson's the... Coulson's the CEO, but... It, but he's quirky. Yeah. You know, he's got his own sort of MO. Um, May is still a bit of an unknown at this point. Mm. Yeah. So um, you get the feeling that the 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 company man mm. is Oh, is very Ward. much so as well. So he's the personification of what a shield agent is supposed to be Mm. so all of the kind of amateurishness or quirkiness or you know whatever you want to call it of um simmons and fitz Mm. and um um sky and i suppose to a certain extent even colson are contrasted to that but it's interesting as well and i think that I can say this from a rewatch perspective, but it's all there in the text, is that the themes of um, family and surrogate relationships and um, trust uh, are there as well, you know, that were there in the early episodes and the Mm -hmm. whole team-building idea and the fact of, um, you know, I suppose diversity as well. Mm. You know, although, you know, the show... Actually, no, I've got to be careful. I've got to be careful what I'm going to say there. I almost went into spoiler territory. That was my last note that is non-spoilery. I have three other things I'd like to say, but they will give things away. Uh, yes, yeah, so just before we get into spoilers, a couple of other little bits and bobs that I noticed. I like the fact that they essentially um, introduce stun guns into yes. this. yeah. Um, and I get the feeling that that's... Um, and I'm not saying this in a spoiler anything I know about the future of the show sense because I remember thinking this when I first watched it I got the feeling that part of that was not a censorship thing 
but just the fact that these are the good guys. They're not you, wanting to kill people all the time. Yeah, and they yeah. still do. I mean, this episode, mm. the stun guns in, and they still kill people, so it's not like they're afraid of violence. And the, and the show will have moments it's not of... Like, like, it's not like the A-Team where they just don't drink yeah, blood, yeah, like, or they like, miss people. Yeah, or you know, the car will flip and people will get out with kind of soot on their face, going, oh, that was a fucking close call. Um, <laughs> but, um, but I think it's just the fact that, you know, you don't want your heroes being murderers. No. And this is a nice little plot device. And also, S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, probably would have a stun gun. Yeah. it's You want them to have a conscience. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what it comes down to. You want them to be wanting even the really bad people to live, but pay for the consequences. Yeah, and I, think, I, cause I get the feeling that... Uh, and this wasn't something that was introduced in the pilot. I get the feeling that... There was there were maybe a couple of episodes in, and the producers were like, you know what, our heroes really are shooting a lot of people because they're not super beings, mm. so they have to use guns. Yeah, and I think that maybe there was a feeling of like, you know, superheroes, they're kind of meant to be for kids. Mm. Should we have these people going around shooting people constantly? Mm. Uh, and I think that was a good decision, and and it's useful as well because. Um, and this is no spoiler to say, you know, there are going to be points in the series where they're going to want to take down people who necessarily that they don't necessarily want to kill. So I think that they they sort of there was a bit of dramatic future proofing going on when they did that, and it yeah. was funny because when that was introduced in this episode, I was like, oh yes, okay, yeah, cool. Um, I also like the fact that, um, gosh, I've got loads of notes here. This is insane. Um, but um, I really want to point out that I love the set of the bus, the Mm. plane. And, you know, every show has that. You know, um, Buffy had the library. Um, You know, Star Trek has 10 forward. You know, TV shows um, don't have limitless budgets. They have to make a lot of episodes, so you have to have those. And I like the fact, and I noticed it was done really well in this episode from a TV direction point of view, was they used the space of the bus for some really good, kind of expositional walk and talks Mm -hmm. like there's one where you see them walking along the one platform they walk down the spiral staircase they go into the ops room I know it's it's all done in one shot it shows off the set that they've got these nice little I don't notice shit like that no but you might I mean I I, I see that as a failing on my part I wish no no but, but you may not notice it but the your immersion in the universe of the show yeah is probably greater because of that, you know, mm. and of the fact that you know t- TV oh, you shows, you do feel like you get a sense of the layout of the plane, yeah, where they kind of live and work and whatever, yeah. yeah. And I think that they use the space because they always joke on whenever I watch Star Trek bonus features about how all of the directors would talk about how every so often a director would find a new angle on the bridge of the Enterprise. They'd be like, oh, wow, you know, we thought we'd use them all. Yeah. It's like, but this guy came in and he put the camera here and he found a new way to shoot um, Riker and Picard talking to each other. And that's how... You know, Riker's kind of leg just that much higher. <laughs> yeah, yeah. His balls just... Got that, a real that, testicle shot. Yeah, a little bit closer to Brent Spiner's face. <laughs> but, yeah, so I think they use it well for those expositional walking talks. I also think that in... Um, these early episodes, and I can't remember um, specifically whether it continues, but they're pretty good at creating the illusion of international. Mm. Like, I realise it's all shot in America. It's probably all shot in LA and California. But, you know, when they are meant to be in these little it felt images, European. You know, it, it's like, and it's prob- they're probably sets and stuff like that. But, you know, they had a couple of people on mopeds <laughs> in the background. There was some and, uh, beardy 
you know, stripy shirt intellectuals. Yeah, yeah, there? yeah, there are a few beardos <laughs> in the background, weren't there? I like the fact as well that you get these constant reminders of how much of a noob Sky is as well, yeah. like all the stuff with the gun and her not being yeah. quite sure about it. Because, But uh, I think that's a good juxtaposition with her saying... Oh, I can hack into that. Give me an hour. When Ward saying, you know, oh, they're really rattled. You're not going to get anything good out of them. Yeah, and that's what I really like. Is it's very even-handed because, and I've got to be very careful here, but in this post Me Too age, mm. where there is the slightly troubling figure of the super capable heroine, mm. you know, the kind of the almost boringly super capable mm. um, um, heroine, it's really great to see a character like Sky who existed kind of before that, who is super capable, but in the areas of her life where it makes sense for her to be super capable. Yeah. But she's never used a gun before, so of course she doesn't she's know how to... She's not just going to naturally yeah. be like, fuck you, <laughs> yeah, yeah, boom. Because she's a good hacker. Yeah. You know, so... And, and I'm sure she will become super capable in that because she seems like the kind of character who is able to take on new information and have that agility, that learning agility. Mm. But that's nice, you know, because I, I kind of think, and I, again, I'm going to be careful here, this is old man shouting at cloud territory here a little bit, um, that it does, and I am almost as old as Clark Gregg was when he started making the He's show. 47, kind of everybody, 47. <laughs> and Clark Gregg was 51 when he started making this. I think I kind of feel like maybe if this show was made now, she would have just been like lock and load from the pilot. Yeah. And it's quite nice a to bit see. sort of Lara Croft. Yeah, and I just think that it's nice to see a little bit of realistic vulnerability and a bit of humour attached mm. to that, even though she is in all of the areas where it makes sense. Because she, she usually has it figured out, you know. There's yeah. a lot of time where you'll have all of these characters, particularly like, again, Grant Ward, the, the personification of S.H.I.E.L.D., where they're all like, yeah, you don't know what you're doing. Ultimately, she's the one that figures it out, yeah, because she thinks outside the box, you know, and she's intelligent, yeah, and and, and, she, and she's not restricting her thinking to a kind of the corporate mindset, and but just, she wouldn't know how to use a gun, yeah. <laughs> you know? But that's the whole point: is just because she doesn't know how to use a gun doesn't mean that she's an idiot. Yeah, she'll find it some just, other solution. Yeah, it just means she doesn't know that one particular thing. Because you're not born knowing how to do that. Exactly. You, yeah. You're not born yeah. knowing how but to shoot a gun. But give her time, and she'll yeah. probably be able she'll to use a gun. shoot it with the best yeah. of them. She'll shoot the shit out of you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also want to mention the uh, the music. We haven't talked about this on previous mm-hmm. episodes, but um, the music's done by a guy called Bear McCreary, who's a really great composer. He did all of the... He came to prominence on the um, the rebooted Battlestar Galactica series, right. which has got an amazing score. And he composed the main theme, uh, which I will drop into the podcast here through the uh, the magic of post-production. Da, 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 Ba, 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 ba. 
No, it's the uh, da 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 da. You know that 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 one. Um, I whatever. You must know the Agents of Shield theme. Oh, you mean the the actual Agents? The theme, of Sh- not not you. Well, that was it. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Oh my god. Okay, you 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 just don't understand my work. <laughs> That's the problem here. <laughs> Excuse me, but um. He created a, um, like a, you know, a theme, like a, an old school, in the same way that the Avengers have got their theme. Mm. Uh, and, you know, you've got the Star Wars theme. He created an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. theme. And I like the fact that in these early episodes, and I'd never have known it at the time, because um, themes take a while to get in your head. Mm. And then you'll hear them, and you'll hear them reused in different ways and used subtly uh, when you've spent time with them. But one of the great sort of gifts of going back and re-watching this now is... Um, picking up on these little subtle moments and the theme is a great example of that because it'll be used in different ways like you'll have the big heroic version of it that you get at the beginning of every episode mm. or when you know there's a real you know fuck yeah kind of moment mm. but um you'll also get like kind of um quieter versions of it played like or you know and, and they'll elicit it just to sort of give you a sense that uh, they'll evoke it you know in moments yeah. where it feels appropriate yeah. so i think that's really nice and it's good that in the same way that a lot of the other MCU films have got noticeable things. I can't, that, that I can't say I've uh, really noticed the music at this point. Yeah. Like, I mean, obviously I know the, the theme tune, not from yeah. your rendition, but I know the theme tune. But, but just on a um, geeky sort of like m- movie but music But you, you're level, far so, more into yeah. music than yeah. I am. Like there's this orchestral score in it, yeah. which is really, yeah, yeah. really weird for a TV mm. show. Um but um, I don't think it's bad or anything. Yeah. I just I haven't I haven't paid attention to it as much as you have. Yeah, I also really enjoyed that. Even at this point, you get these nice little character callbacks that kind of assume that you've been paying attention, like the scene where um, Coulson and May are talking, and he's like, "I thought you said that you had my back and that you wanted to go back in the field." Yeah, and that that's in reference to a conversation they had in a previous episode, and that's probably something that when I first watched it went past me because I was just watching the show, kind of like, you know, half watching it, mm. you know, every week or so, whereas now we're watching it with a little bit more regularity. Well, I think, I think basically um, the writers very early on went, okay, we're, we're going to make it a show where you, as much as it's, it's not going to be a hardcore drama that you're going to feel desperate about at the end of you have to pay attention to it like you would a breaking bad. Yes, they'll be in a cumulative. To get all the nuances yeah. and subtle exposition pieces. But there are some things, and we'll get into this in a moment when we get into the spoiler stuff, but there's some stuff that almost feels like it was only put in there for the rewatch mm. because there's no way that you could have um, you know, figured that out at the time. Yeah. But um, the other thing as well that I wanted to mention is... Um, that um, I like the sort of the and you sort of alluded to this earlier on when you talked about how there's sort of two camps within the team from a sort of professionalism perspective is yeah. um, uh, Fitzsimmons sort of amateurish um, squeamishness mm. I think is really nice and kind of like realistic as well very realistic you know, because like, he's not he's not a doctor he's he, not he's not into that side of science he's very much the abstract clinical theorist robotic side of things he's never seen somebody have their eye pulled out before no, you know and i think not. that it, it, the show reminds you of that as well but um i mean i feel like it would be the same as if someone vomited on a shoe he would 
you know, not cope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay, well, I, I guess that's, I mean, that, that probably um, takes us towards the end of the, the non-spoiler section. Um, before we finish up, though, for anybody who is tuning out at this point, um, Hannah, do you want to just so, so just give a kind of a, a, a paragraph review, what you've thought of this episode, uh, how you'd rate it in <laughs> comparison to the episodes that have come before? Um, I would give this an 8 out of 10. I thought it was solid. I thought it... Uh, solidified the team really well um it's a good standalone it's i mean it's very much a standalone in the sense of what the team has to do but it hints at more to come and that there's possibly more substance to the show than what you initially think um i thought the actors all did a really good job um it excites me to watch it further and I mean, this is bearing in mind, I know what's coming. Um, I was, but I felt the same the first time around. Like yeah. I, I enjoyed it the same amount. It was, it was just as good. And I think that people watching it now for the <clears> first time have the advantage of being able to binge it as well. And also knowing, like if you're watching it first time around now, you know that there's seven seasons and yeah, you know that's true. that there are 22 excellent MCU films. It's more of a leap so of faith back in 2013, it was, it was wasn't it? It was very much a leap of faith then. There'd been one Avengers film. Yeah. You didn't know how the rest of it would go. You knew the film was good. Yeah, but it was still but, a fledgling fan franchise was, at this it was, point, wasn't it? It was very much a fluff piece TV show yeah. as far as anyone was concerned. Um, but honestly stick with it because I feel like um, they're showing their cards pretty early on that they they are invested they want to make it really good and they've got a they've got a story up their sleeve and they're gonna tell it and I think the tone is there as well because I think so much of uh, Agents of Shield right through to the end of the show is around the tone of the show is the vibe of the show is that um you know, things happen, and this isn't a spoiler, but, you know, the show will go, uh, gets crazier at certain points, um, gets more intense, maybe goes darker, but really, tonally, it doesn't change that much. No, it doesn't, and that's not a spoiler at all. because, yeah. And that's every, not a criticism either. Every, every show gets more insane and darker at points of it, hmm. but... Um, I feel like they had a really solid concept from the off. Mm. But vibe-wise, it never strays too much from what what they're no, doing. No, no, it doesn't. It's just that they probably get a bit more confident in their yes. stories. Yes, yeah. So, um, you know, they are confident enough in their viewership to be able to go, okay, we're going to do X, Y, Z. Um, yeah, stick with it. It's worth it. Yeah. Uh, no, I really enjoyed this episode as well. I think that it does that. Uh, I mean, we've, we've talked before about how um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. feels very much like it came out of those 90s shows. It came out of um, shows like um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer and uh, The X-Files and Star Trek Deep Space mm. Nine. Um, I mean, and also some of the later shows as well, Fringe. I think there's a lot of Fringe in the in the DNA of this show as well. And um and I think also, you know, a lot of other non genre shows as well, like I think Lost and Twenty Four, you mm-hmm. can see a little bit of that in the yeah. in, in it as well. You can see 
this episode is an interesting one because I always talk about how those 90s shows have um, the standalone episodes and then they quote mythology, story yeah. arc episodes. Yeah. But there, there is a kind of a third type of episodes with those that the X-Files introduced where they were the episodes where you weren't quite sure. Mm. You know, they, they felt like a standalone from the perspective of the fact that the episode has... That three-act structure. Yeah, yeah, so you have watched something that mm. wasn't just chapter six of 25. Mm. Um, you know, you felt like you had a satisfying 45 minutes or 60 minutes of adverts yeah. uh, storyline and that maybe there was a bit of stuff peppered in that might pay off. Uh, you know, and I think, like, this is one of those. Yeah. This is one of those episodes where it is a standalone. You know, there's a there's a mission that they have that week that they come in and that they do and they either achieve or they don't achieve. Yeah. But I think that it, it isn't a spoiler to say that you also get a sense that there's enough mystery and knowing looks and other things happening to feel like, yeah, there's maybe a little bit of world building going on here as yeah, well. Yeah, for you sure, know? for sure. And, uh, and I think this episode is one of those um, type three episodes where it is a fun adventure with colourful humour and character building and team building and all those sort of things. Mm. But you also get a sense that there's more going on around the edges and we're probably going to get to have a look at those edges at some point. Yeah. You know, yeah, moving for sure. forward. Um, okay, well, um, we will play a quick soundbite and then we will do a little bit of uh, spoiler talk. Yeah. I'm clearance level six. I know that Agent Coulson was killed in action before the battle in New York. Got the full report. Welcome to level seven. Sorry, that corner was really dark and I couldn't help myself. I think there's a bulb out. Okay, so we are now in the spoiler zone, so this is designed for people. Sky's Daisy, she's a superhero, she's like really fucking cool. I've been wanting to say that all night. She might know, not know how to shoot a gun right now, but by God, she can shoot you with her fists. She will compensate for it. I've been really worried, actually, that I have, and I'll need to check this in the edit, that I have accidentally called her Daisy. At certain points. I've been so really checking myself going, Sky, Sky. Because it's so counterintuitive because I, I don't think mm. of her. I, I'm starting well, to think of her. Well, she was Sky as... for a, such a short period of time, yeah. really, when it comes down to it. Yeah, because I mean, I, I, I'm starting to readjust to her mm. being Daisy, but it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a tricky one. But uh, So uh, are <laughs> there any um, spoilers or any elements in this episode that you feel relate to events in later episodes that are worth well, contextualising or discussing thing, here? The first thing I wanted to talk about, just purely because it's it was one of the last things that we talked about in the non-spoilery bit, yeah. was um, we were saying about how there's definite factions in the team at the moment. There are, are Ward and May. Ward and May are like, they're the parents, and then you've got Crazy Coulson, and the newbies, the three newbies, Sky, mm. Daisy, um, Fitz and Simmons. Because Coulson's almost like, like... the children. Well, Coulson's almost like a more capable Michael Scott. Yeah. In, at this early point in yeah, the first yeah. season. Yeah. And some of that, and we'll talk about this in a moment, is related to the fact that some of the characters have talked about, like, hey, what's going on with him? He's and Michael Scott a, without the huge indiscretions. Yeah, but his Michael Scottiness is due to mysterious things that have happened yeah, to him. Yeah, but um, the thing with the Ward and May thing is um, it had only just occurred to me that in this season, 
those two sleep together. Yeah. Like they really do cement them as the mum and dad for a, a good long while, mm. even, you know, not obviously not a traditional romance no, or anything the, like but that. But it's, it's literalized. The hierarchy there yeah. is those two are sleeping together and everybody else is kind of their minions. Yeah, who need to be um, kind of kept in line and, mm. uh, and uh, adhere to their rules. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was that was quite interesting mm. to see because you had Ward going in with um, Daisy. I'm just going to say Daisy because yeah. fuck. Don't um, get too used to it, though. <laughs> I'll tell you what, it's like dating two women. You're going to get the name is it, wrong. Is it like dating two women? Well, I, I speak from personal and current experience <laughs> when, I, when I say this, Jennifer. Uh, Hannah. <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> That's that's actually really creepy because one of my friends is called Jennifer. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> no, see the weird thing is I've only ever thought of her as Jen. I'm like, oh yeah, that's short for Jennifer, isn't it? Oh no. Anyway, yeah. So I thought it was quite interesting because Ward is showing he has some dominance over them. Yeah. And at this stage, you think it's a good thing, but obviously it turns out to be a real hindrance to them and they are putting far too much faith in him and he is going to exploit that and turn it against him. But then on the opposite side, you've got May who has had, who has as much dominance as him and she is like the force for good. Mm. It's very Star Wars. Yeah, it's I, like I, Darth I, Vader and yeah. fucking And, and the thing with May is that the... the um did you like that? The, that was like hand wrestling. Good, good touch. Darth Vader and whoever. <laughs> Wrist fighting or whatever you call it. Hand uh, wrestling. Hand wrestling. <laughs> but um, the motivations that May has for what drove her into this seclusion was a maternal mm. incident. You know? Yeah, and I mean, at this stage, you've still got no idea. I don't even know. Does it get resolved in season one? Uh, it's like in a couple of episodes. Is time, it? I think oh, it's, right, it's okay. pretty early on. Uh, we, the whole cavalry and where that yeah. where where that term comes from, but um, but the other thing as well is is that something that we talked about when we were watching the episode is that we keep having this conversation. And this is why we need to try and get one of the writers on the show. Is um, this idea about how um, at what point did the writers know that um, Grant was Hydra? Mm-hmm. Uh, so really, the larger question is at what point. Did they know that the MCU was going to do this Shield Hydra pivot that mm. occurred in the storyline of um, uh, Captain America: Winter Soldier? And one of the things that we were talking about in the last episode was this sort of um, retcon, this sort of retroactive continuity flip that they did in the last episode mm. around when um, Grant Ward was on the True Serum. And this episode's equivalent of that was there's a moment where um, Grant's talking to Coulson about this former protege of his who, at this point in the storyline, they think has gone rogue. Yeah. You learn later, of course, that she's been manipulated and kind of essentially cyber-hypnotised, like yeah. Manchurian-candidated into yeah. doing this kind of thing. And they're having this kind of like philosophical conversation. And Grant talks about how awful it must feel to be betrayed by somebody who you trusted. And of course, retroactively, we know that that mm. is what he's doing. Yeah. So I feel that that can't be a coincidence because 
that's such a every line of dialogue in a TV episode. You know, these these things are forty two minutes long. Yeah, you don't put anything in there that you don't have time to do. They're no, always talking you don't about how have they have extraneous detail. No, no, you don't have that that time luxury. No, so I can't help but feel that at this point. Um, they they knew, they knew mm. you know, and they were like, "Well, okay, let's have a little bit of a fun with this, like a dare we say it, uh, and then maybe in seven years' time, um, a um, you know incredibly articulate couple in New Zealand will go back and rewatch <laughs> these episodes and, and discover go, this little that was the moment, yeah, this little nugget." I, I quite like this little the, dangleberry. <laughs> of, <laughs> I like the fact that, I mean, they didn't know at the very start. They just didn't. No. Well, um, I, I don't think they did. I don't did. think they he did was, either. He was playing it as the good guy. He It's straight up good guy. No, I, I, see, no there's degrees though, because I wonder, I wonder if they knew that... There the, was a question mark? That this thing was going to happen, but they wrote a couple of episodes and then thought, oh... We could we could feed into this with one of our guys. Okay. So, I, I, but it could be it could be either. It could be I, either. I just I just like the fact. I want to did. really specifically know at what point. I'm sure at some point a memo a memo went out. Mm. I want to know when the Grant Ward memo went out. I'm pleased that it didn't wait until episode eleven or twelve or something like that. They get some ambiguity in pretty early on. Yeah. Even though, for someone watching it, I don't first even think time, it's ambiguity. You no, you wouldn't. You wouldn't see it. But I feel like it's subliminal. Yeah. Like they're just planting in your head that that he thinks about those things, and, and I feel like they're going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and less subtle and less subtle. Mm. I mean, the next episode is the girl in the flower dress. Yeah. So. It's about to get... Shit's going to get real really yeah. quickly. But I'm wondering as well, though, re- re- aside from these sort of... Uh, these these meta questions around the construction of the show, looking at this sort of um, internally is... I wonder whether him saying that was... Is that him struggling with it? Is that him sort of saying to Coulson... Well, you know he does have a struggle with it. Yeah, you because know, he's saying to him, you know, it must feel really awful having somebody betray you like that. Is that is that him? Is that just the writers having fun, or is that him being an evil bastard and twirling his moustache, mm. or is it him actually going, coping with know, it? I've, mm. I've spent a bit of time with you guys now, and I'm not sure mm. about this. Well, you know, he's super conflicted because of his childhood, mm. and I mean, all that comes out way later. Yeah. Um, but you know that he has that whole, you know, brother dad complex mm. and. Yeah, so it could well be that he has a guilty conscience. Yeah. But it's interesting. I mean, that's mm. something that you only can get from a... Because I, mean, I don't believe that there's anybody who, when they first watched this, went, you know what? I reckon in Captain America, Hy- Hydra are going to turn out to actually be running S.H.I.E.L.D. He's going to turn out to be evil. And this is him working through those emotions through an innocuous conversation yeah. with Coulson. I, I really doubt that. I like in this particular episode that you get signs of the larger mythology through the fact that the MI6 agent who is, quote marks, controlling the S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, having the same affliction, that he's got the implant in his eye as well. And you don't realise that until they've kind of taken him down. And it's just, 
it's a a small moment but it's kind of like okay this isn't going to be wrapped up in its entirety in this episode so there's an arc that's yeah. I feel like this is the moment where they plant the flag in going we've we've got stories to tell and and it's not going to take yes. one more episode this is something that's going to take the season mm. Mm. Uh, and I'm doing lots of arm gestures just for the people that can't see me. You're, you're landing a plane, <laughs> and and there's, there's there's also I mean the, all the stuff with like the equation on the uh, yeah. on the board as well. Mm. It's like they're like okay, there's, there's there's more going on here as well. It's a larger mystery, and the equation mm. sort of relates to that as well. Yeah. Uh, and, and there's also as well. I mean, from a um, we should we could probably start wrapping this up. Um, mm. Some early hints as well about. The fact that something has been done to Colson as well, like yeah. you've had the Tahiti thing, which apart from creepy I mean, repetition doesn't mean anything, but you get the point that this earlier protege, this sort of prototype, um, mm. um, recognizes he's different. Uh, yeah, and uh, and I like the fact that, that, that by having a former protege, not only do you get to do some interesting stuff with Sky, mm. where she's like, oh, okay, so he's like a. Um, a, a collector of lost souls. Mm. He's like a bit like you know, we talked about when we were reviewing the Rocky movies about how yeah. Rocky is kind yeah, of yeah. he collects people like pets almost. Mm. That Coulson is like that. He has these kind of people who are like his pr- little pet projects. The one thing uh, I would say though is, and and I'm I honestly don't know how this is going to go because I can't remember the episodes from the first season that well, but I feel like. They have mentioned it a lot in the first season so far, and we're only four episodes in. Mm. So I kind of, I either need them to take their foot off the gas a bit with the, ooh, he's so different, or ooh, what happened in Tahiti, or um, him mentioning he died. You know, mm. they need to kind of stop with it a little bit to give it a bit of breathing space. So almost so the audience can forget. I and think part when, of that, When is, the reveal comes, they go, oh, fuck yes. I, I, I think part of that is is um, the show showing it's the fact that it's a network show. Yeah. And the thing about network shows versus, you know, your, your Breaking Bads and things like that is a right or wrong, a perception that people kind of half watch them, that these yeah. are TV shows that people watch whilst they're, do, doing the ironing that they kind of have to hammer it a little bit more mm. and I think that's what's going on here but I get your point I remember even watching it the first place going okay uh, there's you, something yeah, happening you're here. telling me that yeah. I need to kind of keep my eye on this and mm. uh, and I get that but uh, okay well before we wrap it up is there anything else that you want to add from a sort of um, a larger contextual no, um, no, perspective. No, I'm all good. Okay, right. Well, that is us for this episode. And this will be the last of the three episodes that we are covering in this chunk. So I think the sort of like three, maybe four episodes tops is probably how we will end mm. up doing this, judging by sort of how it's levelling out, mm. so to speak. It would be really great to hear what, anyone thinks of it or if there's any questions you want to pose any insights that you think we've missed yeah um would be lovely to hear yeah absolutely so um you can do that at um facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash chin versus punter uh, maybe we'll set up a subgroup for this podcast we'll see how we go in the weeks and months let's and, see uh, the seven seasons yeah 22 episodes a season 
and two very tired parents. So, you know. <laughs> it could take a while. Yeah. Uh, and that's just this show as well. I mean, it's worth pointing out as well that, you know, there's the banner uh, rewatch project thing here as well. So when we get to the um, end of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., if we've still got any gas in the tank, um, you know, there's still other other shows that we could watch or rewatch. So, um, yeah, that's us for now, guys. Um, what would be your rewatch on New Girl? That'd be a good one for me. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> I don't think Mike could rewatch that again. <laughs> I, I, I don't. I, 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 yeah, I've probably run out of things to talk about after a while. I don't um, think we could analyse it per episode. Yeah, well, you know, I'm you, only kidding. Your heart's I'm only kidding. Um, but uh, but yes, yeah, so you can uh, reach us through there, and also through chinstrokeofusbands at gmail dot com. And um, yeah, I think that's uh, that's probably us for now, isn't it, Anna? Ta ta. podcast is part of the Pod Syndicate family. For more criminally compelling shows, articles, and conversations, head to wearepodsyndicate.com.